The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. just as much of a testimony as it was the first time I ever sang You see I thought number one would surely be me and I thought I would be what I wanted to be I thought I could build on life sinking sand, but I can't even walk, Lord, without you holding my hand. No, I can't. I know that I can't 
Cause I can hear without you home. Oh. 
holding my That's the hardest thing for the Christian to learn is that we cannot do it without him. Well, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Oh, the mountains to hide in the in this place. But thank God he is holding our hand. Thank God he is holding our hand. Well, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Oh, the mountains too high in the I can't even walk with 
Because I can't even walk without you only. I need you to hold my hand. We've been listening to Joseph Larson as he's been leading a worship service in Louisiana. I know that I can't stand without Jesus holding my hand. The very difficult and troubling times we live in, I'm just hearing some of you need the encouragement that comes out of Hebrews, the 13th chapter. I've written a note here in my Bible, as I always do when the Lord speaks. It was July 25, in 2006. And this is the word the Lord spoke to me. My wife was, my late wife was desperately ill. I thought she was going to die that night. I was at the utter end of myself. I felt that I'd failed in every way. I was saying to the Lord, Why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? Very quietly, the Lord said to me, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I heard that word. I was so encouraged and my heart was so lifted, I began to sing. I began to shout praises to Jesus. Because God had said to me, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I testify today. He has never left me. He has never forsaken me. But I can't stand. I can't preach. I can't do this radio broadcast without him holding my hand. Some of you today, I'm just hearing in the Spirit, you need to hear that Jesus has not left you, that he has not forsaken you, and he never will. We find him down on our knees. We walk on our knees. We humble our hearts before him. There's a parable I want to share with you in the time we have left. It's found in Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus told this parable to his disciples in order to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I'm just hearing some of you are almost feeling like giving up. 
You don't know where the finances are going to come from. You don't know how you're going to to eat. You don't know how you're going to survive. Well, you're not going to survive if you don't take a hold of the hand of the Lord and humble your heart and pray. Jesus said there was a a certain town and there was a judge in that town who was totally wicked. He cared nothing for God. He didn't fear God. He cared nothing for men. He was totally consumed with himself. He was an utterly unjust judge making decisions based on bribes. He was an evil man, but he sat in the throne of power in that city. He was the judge. And there was a widow in that town. I don't know what happened to her, except her husband had died, and now she was left with nothing. Perhaps a a piece of property, a piece of farmland, where she and her sons could make do with a small amount of land and grow crops and maybe have a vineyard. I don't know what she had. But a neighbor evidently had seen that piece of property and decided that when the husband died, there was no one stopping him from just forcing this woman off the land and her little children. And now she was in debt and perhaps he was coming to even take the children as slaves. Maybe if he'd left her children alone, she wouldn't have cried out to the judge. It's important that we that we recognize what's actually happening in our lives. That we would have the urgency to pray. Now, many of you today haven't felt that urgent need to pray because you've had your credit card and you've had your job and you've had your life and you've settled into a a comfortable American life and the lockdown really hasn't even affected you that much. You're working at home and you're making money and frankly, things are pretty good for you. It's all an illusion. It's an illusion. Things are not good. This country is crashing. This country is about to be destroyed because of its sin, because of its murder of babies, its abortion policies, its treatment of the poor. We're about to crash as we fight with one another and violence in the streets and cities filled with murders, violence beating people up. People are fleeing cities. They're running. They're getting out. They're terrified. This widow, she went to the judge with the plea, avenge my, avenge me of my enemies, of my adversary. Now, most of the English translations like the NIV. They don't have the fire in the translation that the Greek has. It's like there's blood in her eye. 
She's desperate. She can't make it. She's going to lose her children. There's fire in her eyes. She can't. She can't do anything but cry out to the judge. Even though he's utterly wicked and, and unjust. Probably when she went to court the first time, she went in without an attorney because she had no money. She had no one to represent her. And this woman coming loudly into the court interrupts the court and demands justice. Avenge me of mine enemy. And he probably had her thrown out of the courtroom. Don't disturb us again. We're busy. That didn't stop her. They didn't watch, and she slipped back in, and and again at the top of her lungs she's crying out, Avenge me of my adversary. Give me justice. When he left court that day, and he went out and climbed in his chariot. There she was in the middle of the street, screaming in the top of her lungs, Give me, give me justice. Avenge me of my, of my adversary. He went on by her. He ignored her. He's home and the servant is pouring water over his hands. He's prepared to sit down to a wonderful meal. And there's a loud knocking on his front door. And in a moment, the servant comes into where he's eating and and says to him, there's a woman at the front door and she's demanding, she is demanding and begging that you would deal with her adversary, that you would avenge her. He said, throw her out. I don't want to see her. He's angry. He's ready to go to bed. And outside of his window, he hears the sobbing of this widow. She sobs. She cries out, Avenge me of my adversary. Give me justice. Now I want you to notice something in this story. She does not come with any logical appeal. She does not come demanding her rights. Why? She had no rights. She was not a property owner. Her late husband was. She had no argument to bring to the judge except avenge me of my adversary. She was driven by the love for her children. She was driven by the injustice of what had taken place. She was going to starve. Her children were going to be taken into slavery. She was desperate. And the judge kept refusing and turning her away and saying, I'm busy, don't bother me. Don't bother me. Throw her out. So they throw her out of the courtroom. 
She'd find a way in, and she'd interrupt the proceedings and say, Avenge me! Finally, this judge says to himself, Even though I don't fear God, and I don't care about anybody but me, I mean, he admits to himself he is utterly evil. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, that's not a very good translation. It's really watered down. This widow keeps bruising me, offending me, opposing me. This this woman just keeps making my life a mess. All right, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually totally blacken me out with her coming. It's a matter of his personal survival. Now, would this would this widow woman go to anyone else if there was someone else who could answer her plea? Yes. But there was no one else who had the power. I want you to see the judge has power. He can make a decree and he has the force of arms to impose his decree. And he finally says, okay, she's going to blacken me. She's going to bruise me. I'll give her justice. And then Jesus says, this is Luke 18, verse 6. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. When we come to the Lord, we come importunate. We come with nothing that would justify us before God. We have no merit to bring before God. We have no reason why God should hear our cry. We have only one thing to argue with, and that is our great need. God answers the prayer of the man or the woman, the boy or the girl, who has a desperate need for God to come and avenge them of their adversary. No power against that adversary. Now the problem is many of you have that adversary but you've grown comfortable with that adversary and you've made compromises with that adversary. And so you would rather just tuck your head down and survive. 
Some of you are deeply in debt. But you don't cry out to God to deliver you from the debt. Some of you have overwhelming addictions, but you don't cry out to God seriously for victory over the addiction. Some of you are desperately ill. Well, whatever God wants. Remember Eli? The high priest in Shiloh? He would not cry out to God. When the prophet came and pronounced the judgment, when then God came to little boy Samuel in the night and spoke with him, and the next morning he told Eli everything the Lord had said about the destruction of Shiloh, what was Eli's response? Well, whatever the Lord wants. The death sentence had been pronounced by God against the two sons of Eli because of their wickedness before the Lord God of heaven. And Eli's response? Well, whatever God wants. I'm not going to cry out in prayer. I don't need God that much. I'd like him to help me, but I've got it. I've got it okay now. I can I can survive this. I can survive this sickness. I can survive financially. I can I can survive this loneliness. I can survive the loss of whatever happens in my life. I'll I'll shed a few tears and then I'll I'll be all right. I'm tough. I'm strong. I'm stoic. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And in the midst you're dying. No crying out to God. Look, if God doesn't hold my hand and carry me through, I can't make it. Remember, many are called, but few are chosen. Who are the chosen ones? They are the ones that God has delivered from the adversary. They are the ones whom God will avenge. Those who are laid back and casual, God won't avenge. He won't hear their cry. They're self-righteous. I'm forced to ask, who is, who is the enemy? You may think the enemy is some person. But that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say our battle is with principalities and powers. But even the devil is not really the adversary. He is already defeated. I'll tell you who our adversary is. Our adversary is sin. Let me read this to you. It's over here in in First John. First John, the third chapter. I'm going to read to you from John, the third chapter, verse 8b. The reason the Son of God appeared 
was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Have you been born of God? Don't say, I've been born of God and then walking in wickedness and sin. Like Eli, if you do, you'll die. Your family will die. You'll be destroyed. Sin is the adversary. And we're so casual about it. We've watered it down. We've taken the classical Greek definition of sin, harmatia, and we've said it's missing the mark. And I miss the mark continually all day, everywhere. I never can overcome my sin. Forget it. That's not the biblical definition of sin. The biblical definition of sin is given in First John is lawlessness. It is our heart responding to the devil and siding with the devil against God. And Jesus is saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Can I tell you, faith only comes out of what this widow did. Cry out to God for mercy. Cry out to God and ask him to hold our hand and carry us through this deal. Many are called, but few are chosen. You've been called, but have you been chosen? If you're still walking in sin, you've been called, but you've not been chosen. And until you're chosen, you're not saved. Don't be fooled by what the world, the flesh, and the devil says. Don't be fooled by what some shallow preacher says to you. If you're still walking in sin, you've been called, but you are not chosen, and you will not enter into the kingdom of God. Continuing in chapter 18. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up, and he prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. He trusted. He trusted in his own strength. He didn't need to hold the hand of God. He could make it on his own. He could do all the things he was supposed to do. He could go to church. He could pay his tithe. He could teach. He could preach. He could do everything he thought he was supposed to do. He fasted twice a week. He gave a tenth of all that he received in tithe. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man rather than the other went home, justified, rendered, made righteous, 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I can't tell you today how my heart is stirred with the desperate need for us, for America, to cry out to God about our sin, to turn from it. Will the Lord find faith on the earth when he returns? Will he find people who will pray through to victory in their lives? Will you pray through to victory? Will you recognize that sin is your adversary? Not your ex-wife. Not your ex-husband. Stop fighting with them. It's not your children. It's not your wife or husband right now. It's not your boss. It's not the the bill collector. It's not the landlord. Your adversary is the sin in your own heart. And if you don't deal with that, the same thing will happen to you that happened to Eli. He grew fat and lazy. And finally, the presence of God was stolen away from him. And when he finally recognized the Ark of the Covenant was taken, he fell off his chair and he broke his neck and he died. A blind, fat, old man. Who could have stood with with Moses or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. But instead, he missed his place with God in heaven. And his name is a byword among us. Don't be like Eli. The adversary is coming like a lion to devour you. Will you cry out to Jesus? So many of you, you pray quiet little prayers. Oh, now, Jesus, lay me down to sleep. It's like row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Don't make trouble. Don't embarrass anybody. I'll tell you what, this widow embarrassed everybody in her in her town. She embarrassed herself. Everybody was talking about her. All she would do is cry out to this judge. I suppose they even wondered if he would have her killed. He didn't care. But finally he said, This woman is bruising me. This woman is is making my life awful. Now, we serve a God, as we cry out before him, it's not because he won't listen. It's not because he won't answer. Our God is an awesome God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will hold your hand and he will carry you through. But you've got to deal with your adversary. And your adversary is not a person or even a spirit. Your adversary is your sin. It is your pride. It is your arrogance. It is your thinking you have it all together and you know what you're supposed to do and you're on your way. No, you're not. Not if you're still walking in sin. 
Not if you haven't been fully, entirely sanctified by the Holy Spirit and made clean by the blood of the Lamb. Low life will not win heaven. Compromised life, where you spend no time crying out before the judge. This woman spent her time crying out before the judge because she knew if she didn't, her children would be lost. Some of you say, oh, I want my father to be saved. But you won't even spend an hour a day crying out to God for your father or your mother or your husband or your wife or your children. And you say you want them to be saved. Are you kidding me? Prove it by your actions. Get on your face before God. Repent of your sin, of your hardness of heart, of your casualness. Repent before God. Cry aloud. Many are called, but few are chosen because they will not demand justice. They will not cry aloud to God. They take their sin casually. Oh, they're in good standing like the Pharisee. I pay my tithe. I go to my church. I witness. I do everything I'm supposed to do. But in the privacy of your life, you know what your sin is. You know the lukewarmness of your heart. You know the things you're doing that are not right. You know the way you lie. You know the lust of your heart. You know the coldness of your spirit. You know that when you get down in private to pray, your prayer is a form prayer. It's not a not a gushing of the heart out before Almighty God. How do you think you can be how do you think you can be saved? You can't be because you won't cry out to God. You won't say, avenge me, avenge me of my, of my enemy, and sin is the enemy. The wickedness of your own heart is the enemy. You've got to deal with it. Don't believe those liars who say, oh, you don't have to deal with your sin because you're saved. You're covered with imputed grace. Are you kidding me? Many are called, but few are chosen. Why are only a few chosen? Because only a few will go before God and cry out like the, like the publican, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So what are you going to do? I can't make it if Jesus doesn't hold my hand. The only reason Jesus should answer my prayer for revival is because of the great need and the total devastation. My inability to bring even an argument to God for why he should bring revival. All I can present before him is my own great need and the need of our country. If God does not respond to my need, if God does not come and respond to my crying out before him, revival will not come for me. 
I have nothing to offer. I have no merit to offer. I can't say, look, I know how to preach, Jesus. If you'll just gift me the Holy Spirit, I can do a great job. Wrong. I can't do a great job. I need Jesus. I need him to pick me up and carry me. I don't want just to be called. I must be chosen or I will die. And my family will die. And this nation will die. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? Well, we're out of time for today. Thank you for the many who have shown their love for Jesus and for me by stepping up and helping to carry this broadcast with your gifts of a dollar to a thousand dollars. Thank you. I pray today's been helpful to you. I pray you'll obey this word. You can write to me, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Whitbridge, Virginia, 22195. Let me give you that address again. It's the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. 22195. You can also go on the internet to nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. These messages are all there. Please post them on your social network sites and please go to YouTube and subscribe. I love you, my brother and sister. I'm praying for you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory with great joy Jesus Christ alone.